This podcast is produced by EnergeticCity.ca, your only local and independent news in Northeast BC. To support local news and this podcast, go to EnergeticCity.ca slash join to find out more. Now, an in-depth look at the news and information shaping our community. This is Moose Talks with your host, Doug Craig on Moose FM. Good morning. Welcome to the program. A little later on, we're going to check in with Spencer Hall from EnergeticCity.ca. All about his latest EnergeticCity.ca Investigates article about the experience of black people in Fort St. John and the North Peace. But first, Canfor announced earlier this week that they, quote, don't see a path forward, end quote, for the Taylor pulp mill. This, of course, coming after the announced uh, shutdowns in Chetwind and Prince George and other places. So to talk about what that means for the community, we're joined now by the District of Taylor Mayor, Brent Telefer. Brent, uh, welcome back to Moose Talks and uh, being here live in studio. Welcome. Thanks, Dub. I'm happy to be here. Uh, you know, not so happy to be here with the news that we have uh, yeah. today and what we're going to talk about, but uh, it is good to be on the show and thank you for inviting me. You're very welcome. Uh, so let's talk about kind of your initial reaction to this announcement. I think uh, I think we said you said kind of before the show you you had an inkling that this this was going to happen kind of before everyone else. Eh? Right. So you know we uh, we've seen curtailment on and off over the last few years, and uh, this last curtailment seemed to be pushing on a little longer. Of course, we had continued talks with Canfor. Uh, they they really were trying to find a way to make it work uh, with the lack of fiber, uh, the lack of demand, the uh, the loss of money that, that they've been uh, experiencing and they've reported out from 2022. Uh, again, as I said, they didn't see a path forward. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we we suspected that may be the case with the, the length of the curtailment. Some of the things that they were doing there uh, would indicate that they were preparing for a, a longer shutdown. Um, so we did have an idea, and of, of course they did reach out to us before making the uh, the public statement that they were were closing. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess with the kind of announcement, uh, I guess it was last month at this point now of the kind of widespread the shutdown of the Ch- Chetwin Mill, for example. Uh, when that happened, where and 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 I think we asked them, or somebody asked them specifically, like, "What about Fort St. John? What about Taylor?" And they said, well, "Nothing's changing there for now." I mean, I, how concerned at the time were you that this was just, you know, again, sort of a matter of time that this this would be news that's forthcoming? Of course, very concerned. Yeah, right. Uh, it's a it's a tough industry, the the forestry industry. Uh, when you see that they're losing money, when you're seeing that they're having a uh, problem uh, getting wood or and fiber yeah. uh, for the pulp mill specifically, but for all of their industries, and they're a, they're a business, so they need to make decisions that make sense for their business. Mm-hmm. Uh, unfortunately, some of those decisions impact uh, communities like Taylor, Chetwin, uh, Mackenzie is as a, a forestry town as well, and uh, you know we regularly. Uh, speak with the the mayor there and it's it's such a hard uh hit to small communities when big industry closes the doors yeah now i i think the wording of this one was interesting because they didn't just come out right and say we're done and here's the timeline it's we don't see a path forward we're thinking about alternative uses for the site i think was it what do you think that means and and have they given you an indication of how that means perhaps something different than 
we're moving out in essentially in three months. Well, I'm, I'm very interested uh, on that myself, Dub. They never gave us any information, but this is a heavy industrial site that has access uh, to rail and actually a large spur line into the site. Mm-hmm. There could be a multiple multiple uses that could be there. Um, of course, we're you know Fort Saint John, uh, the Peace Region being the the hub of the the north northern BC. Uh, the there could be many, many things. Maybe they're working on something and they can't say. Mm-hmm. Uh, they certainly haven't told us as they, they haven't told uh, the public. But the site is, is a valuable site. So whether it's valuable still for pulp mill or if they have something else in the works, I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. But we're hoping that uh, they can find a use for it. You know, they've... Uh, and, and I do want to say that Canfor Taylor Pulp has been a great community partner. They've always met with uh, the council regularly. They've always been involved in the community. They've been a good neighbor. And we, uh, we know that if there is a, a path forward, they will take it. And if there is a, another proponent or another use for it, the municipality and the council will look forward to working with whoever comes forward. Mm-hmm. Did you have or are going to have any discussions with members of the provincial government, with Canfor itself, about what they can do to help you or to help them support the employees who are going to be affected by this? Right. So um, Canfor themselves definitely has a program for their employees. Uh, you know, they, uh, I th- you know, I believe that when I hear them say that they are going to help their employees, whether it's with retraining or uh, our direction on on what they can do and how they can uh, support them you know I believe that they're doing that mm-hmm. uh, I mean I haven't talked to any of the employees personally that are are left without a job but we you know we we're certainly uh, willing to uh, step in where we need to if they need our assistance with that uh, we would as a municipality certainly do that mm-hmm um, another thing I want to ask is uh, we were talking about this a bit before we kind of went on the air here too as well. Um, you know, this happened in Chetwind, like I said, a couple of weeks ago. And Chetwind is kind of really majority of it is it's a lumber town. That's the big industry there. It's a little different for Taylor in this situation, even though it happened to both be kind of small towns. But you have kind of the gas plants there. There's lots of industry around that. Do you think that's going to mitigate the effects of this at all? Or with the kind of this lumber industry possibly leaving town for good, is, is that going to affect people more than, than, than kind of we, it looks like, at least on papers, I suppose? So I, I guess for the, the Taylor Canfor pulp mill, a majority of those employees were, were already um, curtailed. Curtailed. Yeah. Right, they were already released from there. They've they've gone on to retrain or onto a new job uh, already, or moved from the area. Yeah, and certainly the the Chetwin announcement was much different because it was just an announcement for shutdown. Yeah, right. Uh, we, I guess, we're fortunate in Taylor that we're so close to you know other municipalities such as Fort Saint John, and a lot of our workers there. We're residents of the region, not necessarily Taylor. Mm-hmm. You know, as opposed to Chetwin, who's a, a little further out, and uh, they, they may have a harder time 
uh, finding employment for that many people when it was that big of an industry in a small town like that. Mm-hmm. And I just wondered, uh, too, if you could touch on uh, you know, how much you've heard from people who uh, you know, have been affected by curtailments already, who are going to be affected in the future. Uh, have people been reaching out and, and saying what they think and, and asking for help and all that kind of stuff? Um, I, I guess we haven't heard specifically for people asking for help. Mm-hmm. Uh, I will say that the municipality has hired some of the people that were uh, working there. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's uh, a benefit to, to us and and uh, certainly a benefit to employers around the region when you see the uh, the employment or the unemployment rate so low or not published in, in the region and so many signs out there needing people. I'm sure there's been a benefit to some businesses uh, with having uh, people available to work. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and, and again, it's uh, it's very tough if you were... If you were in the industry for a long time, it's not like there's another pulp mill you can just go to to work at. So you need to diversify, retrain, and change your life. And that that is a hard thing to do for us. Mm -hmm. So I guess my last question would be, uh, uh, do you know what kind of the next step is here? As as we sort of touched on, is there going to be more contact with the government, uh, the provincial government, I should say, and can for about what we do going forward? What does this mean? What could this mean if you're just going to shut down and we're kind of left with an empty mill, essentially. Right. Uh, you know, we're going to be uh, keeping close contact with Canfor, mm-hmm. uh, certainly uh, always with the, the province and uh, also with our community. So we will be starting, you know, hopefully in the next few months, an official community plan. Mm-hmm. An official community plan gives gives the residents of Taylor the say in what happens in the community, the land use planning and going forward, it's a long-term plan. So, so while it's a it's a site owned and it's heavy industrial now, you know what is the future of that? If if the uh, if there's not going to be a pulp mill or it's mm-hmm. not going to be used, of course, no one in their community wants a building sitting for another thirty years with nothing happening, right? Mm-hmm. That's good land that has good use. It should be used. So we will, as a community, continue to work toward that. All right. Well, uh, Mayor Telfer, we really appreciate you taking a few minutes to uh, uh, come up the road to see us here at uh, Moose Talks. Thanks so much uh, for offering your thoughts on this and uh, being here today. Thank you, Dub. You're very welcome. That's uh, Taylor Mayor Brent Telfer here on Moose Talks. We'll be right back to talk to Spencer Hall from the EnergeticCity.ca newsroom right after this on Moose Talks. Welcome back. I'm Dub Craig. Now we're here to talk a bit about Black History Month and uh, the effects it uh, and, and why it's so important in a place like Fort St. John. So to talk about a wonderful EnergeticCity.ca investigates article they've written. We're joined now by the EnergeticCity.ca investigative reporter, Spencer Hall. Welcome back to Moose Talks, Spencer. Thank you. This is actually my first time on Moose Talks. Oh, okay. I thought I had you on before. I apologize. No, I mean, it's, <laughs> it's fine. I know where you live. Uh, yeah. So tell me all about this uh, wonderful article you've written. Uh, essentially, you... It seemed like you wanted to delve a bit into the black experience and sort of history uh, of black people in Fort St. John in the North PSA. Absolutely, yeah. So, um, you know, about one third of the American troops that were sent here in uh, during World War II to build the Alaska Highway were African American, mm-hmm. mostly from the South. Um, and uh, you know, back in the day, and and to to this day, uh, black people aren't generally treated 
very well. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, in in the construction of the highway, they were given, you know, inferior equipment. They were given the ones that were broken. If they even got heavy-duty um, equipment, there was a misconception uh, going around the U.S. Army at that time that black individuals actually couldn't, were incompetent in using those uh that equipment which is obviously not true yeah um and there is a story that uh they were tasked with building the original uh sikhany chief river bridge they said it was going to take about six days uh, and the uh the regiment which was uh the, the black regiment said that you know we we can build it in three days we bet our paychecks and they were actually able to build it within three days and Unreal. um heather showbloom at the the north peace museum told me that this incident was one of the uh um or this event, I should say, was one of the events that actually led to the desegregation of the U.S. Army because after that, they were able to build that bridge within that time. Uh, the, the colonel actually demanded that the white officers sit and eat with the black officers. Wow. Yeah. That's a very cool story. And that, I mean, that happened right up the highway. Yes, essentially. it did. Uh, fascinating. Uh, you kind of brought it up already. Uh, Heather and the uh, Fort St. John North Peace Museum sort of inspired you to write this, hey? Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, I chat with Heather fairly frequently, and we always talk a little bit about the Alaska Highway. And then Mm -hmm. we just, yeah, we kind of got talking, and I realized that, hey, it's February. Um, And, you know, it made me curious a little bit about, you know, what's the experience like now? We have a a growing uh, population of people with African descent. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, I'm, I'm curious, you know, in 2023, after a pandemic and and the Black Lives Matter movement, like where are we at? How what is it? What's it like for for Black residents? And that was kind of the the question that I wanted answered with this with this story. Yeah. Now, uh, as part of the article, there's a couple really uh, there's a lot of very cool stuff in there. Uh, but uh, I wanted to talk for a minute about Daniel Williams. This okay. is a fascinating story. If you could uh, tell that to us a bit briefly. Yeah. So uh, Daniel Williams was actually the first Black resident recorded in Fort St. John. Mm-hmm. Uh, he lived uh, here. I think he immigrated here in the 1860s. Yeah, that sounds uh, about uh, right. <clears throat> he came here from Georgia, and uh, he was a known as a very proficient gardener, uh, hunter, uh, trapper. So he was actually trading furs quite a bit. And this actually led to him getting into a pretty serious kind of beef with, uh, with the Hudson's Bay Trading Company. Mm-hmm. And he was charged with... Um, with attempted murder, uh, and he was tried in Edmonton. He was later uh, acquitted, and then he moved back to Fort St. John to continue kind of living his life, uh, trading furs. Unfortunately, he did get sick in the winter of 1888, uh, and he unfortunately passed away within a matter of months uh, in February of 1889. Mm-hmm. Wow. Uh, and then, of course, uh, we've talked a bit about the building of the Alaska Highway. Um, we fast forward about 150 years or so uh, to an NLC student who moved from Lagos, Nigeria which is one of the largest cities and sort of metropolises in the world, uh, to eventually settling in Fort St. John with yeah. some other stops on the way. I mean, that's quite the culture shock, I think, uh, they said to you, eh? Absolutely, yeah. Um, uh, her name's Aluchi. Uh, she's, a, she's a really fantastic student I met at uh, Northern Lights College. And, uh, yeah, she compared uh, Lagos to, like, Las Vegas. Like, it's, <laughs> it's the place to be. There's, you know, it's a very vibrant, uh, it's got a vibrant marketplace, like there's, tra- it's always awake. Uh, and then she has lived in Houston, Texas and Dubai. So when she was like, she was sent photos, I guess, of Fort St. John by a friend who lived here. Uh, I'm not sure if he still does, but then she was like, 
oh, that's Canada, because I guess she kind of had it in her head that, you know, we're under snow all the time. Uh, and we, <laughs> you, could, you could argue that we are. But, yeah. Um, yeah, no, she said there's a lot of – it was a bumpy ride. She, uh, she's like, but on the plus side, I've never lived anywhere that there's not traffic all the time. So, um, yeah, no, she's, uh, she's, she's living it and, and loving it here. So mm-hmm. Now, I did want to touch on this because, of course, you did talk to some other people and uh, lots about uh, kind of statistics about the rise of racism recently, uh, online racism, which is a huge problem that uh, even the government is trying to get into a bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in general, kind of what have you heard from some of the people you'll talk to about uh, the experiences, you know, black people and, and black members of our community are having in Fort St. John, you know, even now? Absolutely. Um, you know, I've been, we were only able to really talk to a few residents. So of course, this isn't like a, a universal view. Sure. Of, I'm sure that there are other experiences out there. Uh, and we do encourage people with experiences to reach out and share it with us and, mm-hmm. and all that. But, um, you know, overall, uh, no one has really experienced like, you know, outright blatant hate, like hateful racism. Uh, yeah. There's been uh, what they call microaggressions. So, you know, for example, one went to go buy flooring for when she was renovating her, her basement. And she said that the and she had gone with her friend, who I assume was white, uh, and uh, the salesperson didn't look at her. Uh, hmm. in the eye and when she had a question he would uh, they would turn and, and explain it to the, to the friend mm-hmm. to the point where even the friend afterwards was like that made me very uncomfortable uh, so you, you see stuff like that and, and you know uh, the same person I spoke to is also a therapist uh, and has had you know, people come in and, and say, hey, I'm waiting for the therapist. And then when she says, I am a therapist, they say, don't you need a master's degree to be a therapist? And then she says, yes. And she actually got her master's degree from like Trinity Western University in Langley. Mm-hmm. So, you know, she's, she's got a master's degree. She's qualified. But it's like it's that thinking that, you know, kind of needs to change. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, another one is, uh, you know, they, they in, uh, reported seeing a lot more instances of just blatant racism in community focused online spaces. And yeah. we kind of saw this ourselves, at Energetic City. We saw it uh, when we posted an article that the city was looking for a BIPOC artist, and we actually received quite a few racist comments and actually some messages from people saying, hey, just so you know, like this is happening in the comment section, please do something about it. Um, so, you know, we've seen that uh, ourselves, uh, you know, we de- since deleted the comments, but, uh, you know, it, it is something that's happening and, and it is, you know, again, like you kind of mentioned, something that people are trying to address, especially the provincial government. Mm-hmm. And something we could all uh, do to talk about a lot more and articles like this uh, I think help spread that awareness and and help uh, you know people to understand the situation a little better from the perspective of some of the other members of our community. Mm-hmm. So uh, the good thing about this article is it's going to be available to you to read at noon today. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're a supporter of energeticcity.ca, you've already been able to have kind of a preview of it in its complete form, of course. Uh, but you can go check it out again at noon today over at energeticcity.ca. Anything else you want to say, uh, Spencer, before we wrap it up? Uh, I do want to thank everybody who has you know become a supporter of energeticcity.ca, uh, mm-hmm. especially the Investigates program. Like We wouldn't be able to, to write the articles that we do without that support and it's it's just incredible that we've had so many people sign up for the newsletter but mm-hmm. um, you, you miss a lot of stuff when you're not signed up to the newsletter uh, like early access to Energetic City Investigates and some other content as well so I do just encourage people to to subscribe to energeticcity.ca and also you know there's there's many books on you know the experience of uh, people with african descent in our local library i know that i read a few while writing this article and Mm -hmm. it's just been fantastic there's one specifically about 
oral uh, history and culture just in British Columbia. Mm-hmm. So, you know, these resources are here. They are at our local libraries, whether that be Northern Lights College's library or, or Fort St. John. So I do just recommend people to, to read up on that history because it's not, like you mentioned, something that we've talked about. And I think it's important for every Canadian to know the experience of, uh, you know, people who also live in our country. And they are just as part of a big part of our country as we are. Absolutely. Well, Spencer, uh, thank you so much for stopping by to tell me all about this today. I appreciate it. I appreciate you having me. It's been a, it was a lovely schlep from my office, but it's a, it's a good time. <laughs> Absolutely. That's uh, Spencer Hall, the energeticcity.ca investigative journalist. Thanks to our guests, Brent Telfer and Spencer Hall for joining us today. Now make sure you check out energeticcity.ca for all your local news needs, including energeticcity.ca investigates. It's long form investigative reporting on local matters available to to you before anyone else if you become a supporter the one-time or monthly contribution you'll help us continue to cover all the local stories that matter to you from journalists who live and work right here in fort st john and the north peace you can click the support button today over at energeticcity.ca to support us and for more information well, that's the show for this day, March 3rd. Uh, Trey Lopashinsky and Jordan Prentice are the producers of Moose Talks. I'm Dub Craig. Be well. Thanks for listening to this energeticcity.ca podcast. Energeticcity.ca is your only local and independent news in Northeast BC. To help keep us independent and to support this podcast, go to energeticcity.ca slash join.